welcome to another History of California podcast episode. I am your host, Jordan Maddox. Today is a transition point. We are moving away from some of the native cultures that we had explored in the first few episodes, and we're going to begin to talk about European exploration into California. I hope you enjoy. Today is a transition point. We're moving from a place of speculation, archaeology, cultural legacy and transmission, meaning drawing conclusions about the way things once were by the memory and practices of a people group. And we're now moving into a place of written history. Now, there are a whole new set of challenges and difficulties that come with working with the written word. The difficulties of studying prehistory are obvious, right? We are drawing conclusions about what happened based on artifacts. For example, when we study hunter-gatherers, we look at their tools. We can learn a lot about the way of life of a hunter-gatherer by looking at a hand axe, what they ate, their craftsmanship, their hunting patterns, etc. These are just guesses, though, and they tell us nothing about the specific individuals. How they lived, and certainly not their interior lives. The written record is much the opposite. We move from the very general to the minutely specific. We enter the mind of an individual. We see the world through their eyes and try to discern some general things about the world that they lived in. But obviously, the new limitation is that we need to suss out how the individual point of view has affected their portrait of the world. This becomes especially hard when there's only one source that you're drawing from. It helps to have multiple points of view to get closer to something objective. This is just my little preface as we begin to rely on written sources for our history. There are, of course, better sources to understand our history, but they're also fraught with difficulties, too. Today, we're meeting the first European to explore the west coast of North America, particularly present-day California. Now, European explorers have understandably got a bad rap. Refer to many of them, especially those from Spain, as conquistadors. The word is a far cry from the word explorer. Their mission ultimately was to expand their country's power, or gloria, uh, by taking land and presumably the gold hidden there. And through that, expanding their religion and consequently bringing prestige to their homeland. This is the worldview of the men that crossed the ocean, found native people, and did horrible things. Assigning this world, them this worldview is in no way excuses their behavior, but it is a helpful interpretive lens to look at them. Now, I wish that I could say I had that the protagonist in the next few episodes was not a part of this world, or was different, or somehow kinder, or is a better human than someone, say, like Cortez, but ultimately that's not the truth. In fact, the European who discovered California was a disciple of Cortez himself. Not only that, he was sent to stop Cortez and was in fact persuaded to join him. We should not read too much into that, but just to say that Cabrillo was a man who joined the cause and followed orders from his immediate leaders. Now, the origins of Cabrillo have sparked debates among historians and governments for hundreds of years. There's a monument to Cabrillo on the Ballast Point in Point Loma in San Diego. The National Monument commemorates his landing in the San Diego Bay. Part of that monument is a statue of Cabrillo himself. 
on the statue, which is actually a replica. The originally slowly deteriorated by ocean conditions and was replaced, claims Cabrillo as a Portuguese explorer. The original statue was actually sent to the United States in 1939 to be part of an exhibition in San Francisco. Arrived too late, missed the exhibition, and was stored in a garage in Oakland. The statue was meant to be a political statement by the Portuguese government taking ownership of Cabrillo, and the U.S. government seems to have agreed, making the statue a center point of the monument. We'll come back to the monument as arrival in the San Diego Bay later, as it becomes more relevant. All that to say it is, is that the origins of Cabrillo are contentious. There's an ongoing scholarly debate about his origins that is too deep into the weeds to investigate here further. But here's my takeaway. No matter where Cabrillo came from, once he arrived in the quote-unquote new world, he was in the employ of Spain, and that's the important takeaway. We'll start the life of Cabrillo not from childhood, but from Cuba. He somehow sailed to Cuba as part of an expedition. We'll not concern ourselves with the circumstances, and we don't want to dip too far into speculation. We'll focus on the mission to deal with insubordinate Cortez first. While Cabrillo was on the island of Cuba, the famous conquistador Hernán Cortés was at odds with the Spanish governor of Cuba himself. And as a result, he decided to sail to the mainland and continue his mission to explore, conquer, and pillage. The governor of Cuba, understandably upset, outfitted a fleet to deal with the subordinate Cortés. On one of those boats, listed as a crossbowman, was Cabrillo. The expedition ultimately ended in defeat. Cortez was well prepared, and he and his men fought, fought knowing that if they lost, they would be executed. The surviving men that were sent to put down Cortez and his army ultimately fought with him further in Mexico. Cabrillo fought successfully with Cortez, and after major victories with him, Cabrillo is said to have a horse. This is something that was in the written account. A horse in those times if you were a soldier, was a sign of wealth and prestige. And he was, in fact, offered an encomienda, which was essentially the right for a conqueror to control a portion of a colony, to exact tribute from the natives and force them into labor. Cabrillo, however, rejected the offer, instead choosing to follow another military leader named Alvarado on expeditions in present-day Guatemala. After conquering the capital... Uh, with Alvarado, Cabrillo apparently took a native wife and had three children with her, and then settled in the city of Santiago. His time in the city of Santiago elevated Cabrillo from a successful soldier and conquistador to a wealthy citizen and encomiendor, someone who runs an encomienda. Cabrillo exploited the opportunity of his encomienda, collecting tribute from the native people of all kinds. The most value of all these tributes was cacao beans. Furthermore, he employed uh, natives in operating mines in the area to harvest valuable minerals. It is estimated that Cabrillo may have had a few hundred natives working on the mines at any one time, which would have been a huge enterprise given the small population of this area. In addition to exploiting his surrounding environment, he began to, begin to invest his wealth to fund new missions to unexploited territories, particularly um, Peru. Meanwhile, Cabillo traveled to Spain for one year to court a proper wife. His native life wouldn't have been recognized in his culture and society. 
um, and he wanted to find a proper wife to bring her back to Guatemala. He married up, and his new father-in-law would ultimately fund enterprises throughout the New World, benefiting him and his new son-in-law. Cabrillo, in the end, would become one of the wealthiest conquistadors and would enjoy a life of luxury in Guatemala before he went on his future voyages. Cabrillo would continue to live in this region, building ships for Spain's expeditions in Central and South America. In addition, he continued to add to his wealth as a merchant, trafficking in goods afforded to him by his conquests and circumstances. Now, this was a brief introduction, and we are going to stop here with Cabrillo's story for a moment. The purpose of this episode was to give you a brief glimpse into what we know about Cabrillo leading up to his famous expedition. I also wanted to push Cabrillo more into the camp of conquistador than explorer here. While in some ways he was an explorer, being an explorer in this period connotes an element of conquest that is sometimes left out of one's point of view of the word and of these people. In my history classes, in fact, I regularly teach a period called the Age of Exploration, and we spend a lot of time talking about what the term explore means. And I often pose the question, is the person an explorer if they seek out to change the thing explored? These are philosophical questions, of course, and beyond the scope of this podcast. But as we segue into Cabrillo's expedition in California, let's come at it with open eyes. Cabrillo did not travel to California to discover the place on the map. But rather, he came there to continue the pattern of Cortez and Alvarado to find lands that could be utilized for Spain's glory. Now, of course, I'm not going to pretend here that anyone can approach things neutrally. For instance, social media influencers today are living lives to garner attention and leave their viewers inspired and coming back for more. It's not altogether clear whether these people would live the lives they live if they didn't have the audience. So... Sussing out one's motives and passing judgment is often a fruitless activity. Regardless, Cabrillo is operating in his world, according to its world's rules, and we need to see him as he is first, before we can climb on our horses to pass judgment. And we will continue that enterprise next time. All right. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. Stay tuned next week as we continue our exploration of Juan Rodriguez Cabrillo. Um, As always, we have a Patreon channel where you can support us. It's called the History of California Podcast. Until next time.